It's good to be with you again this morning. I consider it a true honor and a privilege um, whenever uh, Pastor Mark shares his pulpit with me. And it is truly an honor. Let me pray for us before we get started. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you always and only through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is so much to us. Lord, so much, and we don't even realize the half of it. We thank you that in him we have every blessing in spiritual places and high places in Christ Jesus, and even every blessing now. And Father, we thank you that when he ascended into heaven, he did not leave us alone, but he sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter who would guide us in all truth, And this morning, Lord, our prayer is that you would come by your Spirit, that we could see the glories of Christ, and we could be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as is Pastor Mark's custom, we have a memory tool that we've been learning all the scriptural references for all the great I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. If this is your first time here... Don't worry, we're not too weird, but uh, we do close our eyes, so go ahead and close your eyes, and let's real quick review what we know so far. So with your eyes closed, imagine six giant loaves of bread, and these loaves are huge. They're as big as a man, and stamped in big numbers on the side of every loaf is the number 35. There's six loaves. They're stacked like a pyramid, three on the bottom, two in the middle, one on top with a 35. Six and 35. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, on top of the pyramid of bread is a signpost. And it looks a lot like a stop sign, except it doesn't have stop on it. It's painted all gray. And at every corner of this sign, there's a light bulb. So there's two light bulbs on the right, two on the left, two on the top and two on the bottom. Now these are low wattage bulbs. They're only 12 watts. Eight light bulbs at 12 watts each. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Now on top of the signposts is a giant wooden door. And I mean really giant. It's 10 feet tall. It has nine doorknobs on it. Three on the top, three in the middle, and three on the bottom. Ten-foot-tall door with nine doorknobs. John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Now, on top of the door, imagine a young boy. He's sitting there dressed like a shepherd. He's got red hair and freckles. He's a cute kid. He has a shepherd's staff. He's 10 years old. But the peculiar thing about this boy is that he has huge feet for a 10-year-old. He wears size 11s. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This morning, I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to John, the 10th chapter, and we'll read our text for this morning together. John chapter 10, and we'll pick up in verse 11. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. This morning, Jesus comes to us and he says, I am the good shepherd. And why does he say, I am the good shepherd? We need one. We need a good shepherd. This theme, this motif, if you want to call it this image or illustration of Jesus as the good shepherd and we as the sheep is very commonplace. And I think that sometimes there's some nostalgia that goes along with it. I mean, how many paintings have you seen of Jesus with a shepherd's staff holding a lamb in his arms that he's rescued from danger? I mean, I've seen dozens of paintings that portray this. And it's an accurate portrayal. I mean, it's a sweet and wonderful picture of Christ caring for us and leading us. But I think a lot of times we have this tendency to gloss over the fact that Jesus is indeed in this passage calling us sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but Pastor Mark asked me to preach on the Good Shepherd, and I thought to myself, I don't know anything about sheep. And we don't really live in an agrarian culture that much anymore. I mean, there's maybe a handful of you here this morning that have any kind of real experience in dealing with sheep. I didn't, so I called a friend of mine from back in school. My wife, Rebecca, and I lovingly refer to him as Cowboy Gary. He's from South Dakota. He lives in Wyoming now. And I said, okay, I definitely have to call Cowboy Gary. So I called him up and I said, Gary, I remember you telling me some stories about sheep. Lay it on me. Give me, give me the scoop here. What, what is it about sheep that I need to know? I'm preaching on this passage. And long story short, Gary said, Justin, there's only one thing that you really need to remember about sheep. There is one attribute that these animals have that they are known for and that singles them out among all the other animals in the barnyard community. He said, Justin, sheep are exceedingly dumb. <laughs> I mean, he said, these animals take dumb to a whole nother level. And I'm, well, tell me, you know, and he starts telling me these stories about these experiences that he's had with sheep. And I'll share one quickly with you. My friend Gary, he is tasked with this job. He's supposed to take all of these sheep in an enclosed pen and move them all over to a second pen, also enclosed. Now, this is pretty easy stuff because even the passageway between the pens is enclosed. It's gated, so the sheep can't escape. You just open the gates on the passageway, and they go through. So, you know, he opens the gates, and he goes in with the sheep, and he starts, you know, shooing them and kind of just yelling at them, trying to scare them. And eventually he gets a couple... You know, they're baying and stuff, and they, they start to, so, sort of start heading towards the door that they're supposed to to get to the other pen. And they start, they start that way, and then they start bumping into each other, and they all just kind of head over there. 
And so he thinks he's done, and he's like, wow, that was easy. I just go shut the gate. And then he realizes there's one sheep left in the original pen. And he goes, oh, okay, well, it's just one. Surely I can do this. And the sheep starts to freak out. I mean, it's, it's not with all the other sheep. And it starts to basically melt down and have a panic attack. And he's standing there watching this. And, and he's thinking, just come on, just turn your head. If you do, you'll see all your cousins over there. There's nothing stopping you from walking over there with them. What, what's the problem? He stands there for a couple minutes. The sheep just baths and goes on and starts to really get crazy. Finally, my friend walks over and grabs this thing by the head and forcefully turns its head so that its eyes will be aimed at the other sheep. Okay, and then the lights go on. It goes, oh, there's my, there's the, there's my family. And he just kind of shoes it. And finally, he gets this thing in. But sheep are extraordinarily dumb. And our Lord comes to us and says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He uses sheep. Now, we would like it more if Jesus would have come and would have stroked our egos a little bit. And he would have said, I am the good beekeeper. And I lay down my life for the hardworking, industrious, organized bees. And we'd say, yeah, okay, good. That's, yeah, I'm a bee. Or if Jesus would have come and said, I am the good cowboy. And I lay down my life for the sleek, wild stallions and wild horses that wander the plains of the earth. And we would have said, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm a wild horse running on the plains. Or if Jesus would have come and said, I am the great lion tamer. And I lay down my life for the lions and the tigers and these self-sufficient apex predator sleek cats that take care of themselves and are so powerful. But of course, our Lord doesn't come and say that. He says, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, as Jesus is talking here in John 10, and I hope you've realized as this series has started and progressed, as Jesus gives us these I am statements, he's arguing with the Jewish leaders of his day. And they hate him. And this argument is getting vicious. And Jesus is standing his ground. So this, this idea of a shepherd and sheep, it's not like Jesus is having this argument and then he thinks, oh, well, I know a good illustration. I'll tell them I'm the good shepherd. The Old Testament is full of this kind of imagery. And the Jews that he's fighting with would be very familiar with Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Because shepherding is everywhere in the Old Testament. And that was their Bible, the Old Testament. And we can't go into all the places that shepherding and sheep are found in the Old Testament. But I mean, just think with this for a second with me. You have all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all familiar with the shepherding business. Of course, you have King David, the shepherd king, who's actually really a shepherd before God promotes him to the position of king, of king, and he writes the beautiful 23rd Psalm, and is in humility says, Lord, you're my shepherd. I'm not, I'm not up to the task of doing anything right. He, he says, I used to be a shepherd, but I need a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We're so familiar with this image. 
And then in the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all foretell a coming good shepherd, especially in Ezekiel. This good shepherd will come who will watch over the people of God and he'll care for them and tend for them. And so it's into this context that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But this morning, I want us to go back into our Old Testaments and I want us by looking at the life of one shepherd in the Old Testament to see the full glory of Jesus as the good shepherd. I want us to look at the first shepherd in redemptive history, the first shepherd in our Bibles. Of course, I'm talking about Adam and Eve's son, Abel. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, and reading through to verse 12. Genesis 4.1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. Abel was a shepherd. And Cain a worker of the ground. Cain worked in the produce of agriculture. He worked from the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Back up a second. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So we see the first shepherd in the Bible introduced. It's Abel. And right away we find out that Abel's offering is accepted by God and Cain's is not. Now the scholars and theologians wrestle around with this passage. And there are those that say, well, Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not because Abel's was a blood sacrifice. He actually took a sheep, his, a firstborn, his best sheep, and he sacrificed it to God. And Cain's was just grain or the fruit of the ground, and that's why God didn't like it. But I don't think that's the case. I think the answer to that, that question is right here in our text. It says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. You see, Abel was a true worshiper of God, the first shepherd. It says he brought his first, he brought his best. His heart was good. He wanted to please the sovereign God who had made him. And his sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was not. Cain's heart was not in the right place. And we'll see that in a second. So Cain's reaction to this, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Because Cain's jealous. He's upset about this. The Lord says to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And then he sternly warns Cain and he says, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door 
Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And we know where the story goes. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? Now, Cain murders Abel because he hates his brother and he's jealous. His brother's sacrifice was accepted. His was not. He murders his brother. And then God goes and confronts him. And he asks him this question. Where is Abel, your brother? It's not that God needs some information. He's not, it's not that he doesn't know where Abel is. He knows exactly where Abel is. The exact piece of ground where murdered Abel lies with his blood pouring out onto the ground. But what is he doing here? He's... He's confronting Cain and his sin the same way he confronted Cain's parents and their sin. You remember when Adam and Eve fell into sin and they were hiding in the garden and God came into the garden? He didn't say, there you are, did he? He said, where are you? And he knew where they were. But then as they answered, their hearts were revealed. And, and they, couldn't, they had fallen into sin and they had fallen so far, they couldn't even answer the question. Remember this? Where are you? They could have just said, I'm over here. They couldn't even do that. They started lying and blaming and making excuses and saying all kinds of crazy stuff to try to get out of it. Well, God's doing this to Cain. The Lord comes to Cain and says, where's Abel, your brother? And Abel's answer reveals his heart. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain not only lies, just blatantly lies to the sovereign holy God who made him, but even this little phrase at the end, am I my brother's keeper? He kind of twists the knife in in his answer. Like, what, am I supposed to keep track of that little twerp? My little brother? Am I supposed to watch over him? What's your problem? His heart is wicked. And the Lord said... What have you done? And listen to what Moses records next. And stay with me, because this is all coming back to our text this morning. I am the good shepherd. Listen. God says, what have you done? And then he says the most peculiar thing. He says, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And then he goes on. He says, he says, Cain, your brother Abel, I know what you did. His blood is on the ground. His blood is saying something to me. It's talking to me. And then he goes on to curse wicked Cain. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And if you go on, and we're not going to read it today, but if you go on, you see that wicked Cain even argues with God after being caught red-handed in first-degree murder. He even has the gall to say to God, Oh, this punishment is too great for me. But this morning, I want us to think about the first shepherd, Abel. 
And I want us to think about the Good Shepherd, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. These two guys' lives are actually very similar. The first way they're similar is they're both shepherds. Abel was a keeper of sheep. He kept sheep for a living. He was a shepherd. Christ comes and says, I am the good shepherd. And we know, and the people that he's talking to know, he's not talking about an occupation that he's going to start. He's talking about being a shepherd to people. Abel's a keeper of sheep. Christ is a keeper of people, his people. A second way that Abel and Christ are similar is that both of them, the first shepherd and the good shepherd, offer a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Abel gave his first and he gave his best and he loved God. His heart was right and God accepted his offering. And we know that our Lord Jesus Christ would offer a sacrifice that was very acceptable and very pleasing to the Father. He laid his own life. He says, I lay down my life for the sheep. And God is infinitely satisfied and pleased with the offering of the good shepherd, Jesus. Now think about this, a third similarity. Both Abel and Jesus are persecuted throughout their short lives and eventually murdered, put to death by their own brothers according to the flesh. Now we know that, that Cain was Abel's brother and he was jealous and he hated him and he killed him. But Christ is in the middle, in John chapter 10, he's in the middle of this vehement argument that he's having with the Jewish leadership. And they hate him. I mean, they are just outright jealous. Christ does miracles. Christ's teaching has power. People actually like Jesus. They want to follow him. Big things are happening. And the Jewish leaders are looking at this. And they're saying, we got to get rid of this guy. We want that. We want that kind of following. And they hate him. And, and, and as they're going back and forth, even here in John 10, I am the good shepherd. They hate Jesus. And we know that the Gospel of John does not end here. We know that our Lord would go to a Roman cross. But remember, it wasn't the Romans who came and grabbed Jesus, was it? Who had him murdered? It was his own Jewish brothers, his brothers according to the flesh. In another place in John, he comes right out and says, you think that we're all descended from the same man, Abraham? He says, um, he says to the Jewish leadership, he says, I tell you the truth, your father, your spiritual dad, is Satan himself. And they hate him. And eventually they'll murder him. Remember, it's the Jews who grab Jesus and torture him and make up all kinds of false accusations about him and then turn him over to Pontius Pilate so that he can do their dirty work and finally murder him. But there is a great difference. While there are many similarities between the first shepherd Abel and the good shepherd Christ, there is a great difference that I want you to see with me this morning. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 24. If you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews, I recommend it to your reading. It's a wonderful letter written to Jewish Christians. And it's full of deep theology. It's full of doctrine. It's full of some really hard sayings that we wrestle with. It's full of all kinds of good things. But the book of Hebrews can be summarized in literally one sentence. The book of Hebrews is about one thing. Jesus is better than everything, and he's better than everyone. Period. He's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. He's better than the angels. His covenant is a better covenant. His sacrifice is a better sacrifice. His ministry is a better ministry. Everything about Jesus and everything that Jesus brings to the table is better than everything that came before. And it's into this letter that I want you to see one key difference between Abel, the first shepherd, and Christ, the good shepherd. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 The author says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. He's starting a comparison, and he's talking about Mount Sinai and the giving of the law and the horror that was the presence of God at this happening. And he's saying, now in Christ, you haven't come to that. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But now's the good part. He says, but you, you Christians, you FAC, you've come to Mount Zion, a better mountain to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, a better mountain and a better city. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And now listen, follow follow with me. Listen to what he says now. He says, and you've come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Have you ever thought about this? What does he mean? Well, we know Jesus is a better mediator. We know that the new covenant is a better covenant. And we've come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel? And he references Abel, the first shepherd. And the question becomes, well, if it's better than Abel's, what did Abel's blood say? Well, we just read it. Remember, God confronted Cain. He said, Cain, your brother Abel's blood, it's talking to me. Is the blood literally talking? No, it's a figure of speech. But he says, his blood's talking to me. It's crying out from the ground to me, Cain. What was the word 
that Abel's blood cried to God. Vengeance. Oh God, see this innocent blood and take vengeance on wicked Cain. And immediately God moves and curses Cain. But the author of the book of Hebrews says, we come to a sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the first shepherd, Abel. And what is it that the sprinkled blood of Christ speaks that is so much better than the blood of Abel? The blood of Christ says, Mercy! Oh, God, have mercy! Have mercy on these poor, dumb, pathetic sheep. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. In an act of substitution, Jesus gets in the way of us, the sheep, and the wrath of a holy, almighty, sovereign God to be poured out on our sins. And Jesus steps in and his blood says, No, Father, pour out the wrath on me. No, Father, not them. Me. Mercy, Father. Mercy for these sheep. You see, Christ is not just the good shepherd. And he is that the foretold good shepherd. Even the prophets talked about him. He's not just the good shepherd, though. Christ is the greatest shepherd. He is the best shepherd because he loves the sheep enough to lay down his own life to protect them. He tastes death for us the stupid sheep. The prophet Isaiah, in his famous passage of Scripture that he writes concerning the suffering servant, he looks forward, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he looks forward into the future and he sees the Messiah. He sees Jesus. And he's the suffering servant. Listen as I read just two verses from Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. And listen to Isaiah. We all, like sheep, like dumb sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the good shepherd because Jesus really owns and loves the sheep, us. There are some of you here this morning who do not know the good shepherd. And you may have seen portraits and pictures of Jesus as a shepherd. You may have attended churches for many years, but you don't know him as the good shepherd. The call goes out to you this morning. Come to Christ, the good shepherd. 
You need Him. And the way of the gospel is the way of humility. The way of the gospel is you come to Christ and you say, Lord, I don't have it all together. I don't have the wisdom, strength, righteousness, fortitude to make it through life. And not only this life, I don't have anything to offer you when it comes to the afterlife, to eternal life. And I read that you're going to throw people into hell and others you're going to bring into heaven. I can't. I have nothing to give you. But the way of the gospel is the way of humility. You come to Christ and you say, I have nothing to give to you. I'm just a dumb sheep. But would you be gracious to me, not because I'm good enough, but because you are good enough for me at the cross. Some of us here this morning have been walking with the Good Shepherd a lot of years. We're Christians. We know the Good Shepherd. We really know Him. I know that Jesus is my shepherd. And I am a sheep. But I think a lot of times we're tempted to spiritual pride, aren't we? And I'm preaching to myself. We walk with the Lord for so many years... And there's this tendency that creeps in and we start thinking things. We don't do it consciously, but we think, you know, I know the Bible a lot better than when I first came to know Christ. You know, I've really got a good handle on the Bible. And you know what else? I'm really serving God a lot in His church, and I think that makes Him happy. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've, I've really kind of pulled it together here. And I have a lot more wisdom now. I really can see my way through life pretty well. But you know, in reality, this side of heaven, wherever we are on our journey with the Good Shepherd, if you're honest, if I'm honest, we're all just a bunch of dumb sheep. We really are. I mean, we're really dependent on the Shepherd. And not just once in a while when we have a problem. I mean, every day, we need Him for protection, for provision, for comfort. And of course, all, the, all the, this time for our own salvation. It's all because of Him. And I think that Jesus comes to us this morning and He tells us that we're sheep. And I think to some of us, this needs to serve as a good, sanctified slap in the face. And He says, remember... You're nothing apart from me. Remember, you are utterly dependent on me. And finally, there are some of us here this morning that are going through a tough time. And maybe you're just in a dry spiritual season. Maybe you're having family problems, relationship problems, money problems. Things just are not well with you and you're anxious. And you just need to hear that Jesus is the good shepherd. And you, by faith in Jesus, are his sheep. And he loves you. Really, he laid his life down. He didn't just say words. He did something. He did the greatest thing for you. And you just need to seek comfort in him this morning. Let me pray for us. Our gracious Heavenly Father, indeed, Christ Jesus is the good shepherd. And we are your sheep, but Lord, he's 
the greatest shepherd. He's the best shepherd. We thank you and praise you for all that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of your salvation. Father, forgive us when we become proud and we think that we've got it together and we really have something great to offer to you and other people, Lord. Forgive us and gently humble us again that we would remember that Christ is our all in all. He is our good shepherd and we need him every moment of every day. Lord, if there are there those who are anxious, who are hurting, who are struggling this morning and they know you, Lord, would you just remind them of your great love. Would you remind them of Jesus who is the good shepherd and he does rescue us poor, helpless sheep and lambs from the perils of this life and the life to come. And he is everything that those pictures we see represent and so much more. And finally, Father, if there are any here today who don't know Jesus as their good shepherd, would you draw them by your spirit that they could come to you in humility and say, oh, I have nothing to offer you, Lord, and I am sinful and wicked, but would you be gracious to this sinner because Jesus died for sinners? And would you bring me into your fold? Would you lead me, Lord Jesus? And Jesus says, all that come to me, I will not cast them away. Father, we love you and we praise you. Would you seal this word to our hearts that we could be changed? In Jesus' name, amen.